Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Hello, welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. As a leader and a manager, you want new ideas and new approaches. That's a lifeblood of most businesses. Yet, it might be that your own mindset is actually limiting the creativity you're getting from your from your team. So what can you do about it? And more importantly, why you should you care? And how does all of this creativity ultimately impact your culture? That's the topic for today. I think you're going to find it's incredibly practical, very easy ideas to implement immediately. My guest today is Brian Mattimore, and he specializes in ideation and innovation processes, the front-end marketing research and creating new products and services. He's co-founder and chief idea guy of the Growth Engine Company, a 22-year-old innovation agency, and previously he was president of Mattimore Group. Now, Brian has facilitated thousands of brainstorming sessions, 500 creative focus groups, over 200 successful innovation projects, leading to over $3 billion in new sales annually for a wide variety of Fortune 500 companies. And he's worked with a range of clients like AstraZeneca, Black & Decker, Dun & Bradstreet, Ford, IBM, Johnson & Johnson, Lockheed Martin, LVMH, Microsoft, Pepsi, Procter & Gamble, Sony, United Technologies, Unilever, and I haven't even scratched the surface. You get the point. I think Brian is in pretty much high demand. And with that kind of innovation success record, who wouldn't want him? At any rate, Brian has authored dozens of articles and three books. One is called 21 Days to the Big Idea. The second one is called 99% Inspiration, Tips, Tales, and Techniques for Liberating Your Business Creativity. And the one we're focusing on today, Idea Stormers, How to Lead and Inspire Creative Breakthroughs. Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, Wanda. Thanks for having me. It, uh, you know, when you go through that bio, it makes me feel a little old, but, uh, but, but I'm still creative, so it should be okay. Hey, you just accomplished a lot in a few years. What has age got to do with it, is in my point of view. All right, Brian, you spent a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of energy on innovation, creativity. Why? Why does that matter to you much so much? Well, uh, two things. Um, you know, as an innovation agency, we have to deliver for our clients, right? So they come to us and say, help us get these, these new ideas, these new breakthroughs. It could be an innovation, a new sales strategy. It could be anything, really, where they're looking for a big idea. That's one thing. Um, you know, the personal side of it is I grew up in, a, in a, an idea household. My, my dad had been in the ad business. He you know, did say Pepsi, please, that tagline. And started a company called Sammy, one of the largest research firms in the nation. And so I grew up in an environment where ideas were uh, championed. And, and, and I became fascinated with, you know, not only the ideas, but in some ways, more importantly, how you get ideas. And that's really what I've spent my life trying to understand and apply, uh, to be honest. I mean, all my work has been about how you apply these things to get real world results. All right. I think all of us have our own view of how we get ideas. And the comment I hear more often than anybody else is I get my best ideas either driving in the car 
or in the shower or just as I'm waking up or some version of that. Your life's work, how do people get ideas? Where do they come from? Well, how much time do we have? (laughs) No, I, you know, uh, first of all, let me talk to the environments because that is important. You know, you mentioned the shower and driving. I, you almost never hear at work, right? (laughs) Which is a shame. Um, But, you know, generally the way it works is, uh, and, and coming up with ideas is simple. It's this thing plus that thing. You know, you mash them together and you you get a new thing. So you're driving along and you have a problem and you see a billboard and you transfer that principle that you see in that billboard and you get an idea, right? So, and we'll talk about that as we go through this, the mashing up approaches. But um, so in that sense, it's very simple. Um, And and obviously, if if you doubt, if any listener doubts is they've lost the ability to, to come up with ideas you know, look at your children or grandchildren or try to remember how you were as a kid. And oh, my gosh, you know, you're getting an idea every second. You're making new connections uh, between things that are that are unexpected. You know, uh, you know, my daughter, when we were watching Wizard of Oz one time and uh, the you know, this this the the, the good witch came and then she went off in the yellow ball. And I said, well, where do you think that yellow uh, or where do you think she's going? Right. Uh, this was going to the Good Witch, and she said, "Well, I think she's going to play tennis, right?" And and so she made that wonderful connection between that yellow ball going off and a yellow ball in tennis. And so those are the, you know, kind of wonderful, naive, uh, brilliant connections that we can make when we rediscover um, who we were and who we can be. Frankly, so. Th- There's a whole bunch of myths I find about the creative process. One of them is not everybody can be creative, and you are going to obviously disagree with that, or that there's a particular process that you have to follow, or that, I don't know, can you just demystify this whole creative process for us? Sure. I mean, there there are so many misconceptions. I mean, one of them is, is brainstorming, right? I mean, you know, there are no bad ideas, which is which is a misconception. Most of the ideas are bad. Frankly, right? You know, they're not, they're not very good. I mean, what that really means is withhold judgment, with, which is valid. And then the other valid point about brainstorming is quantity will equal quality. So those are those are two, two important foundational principles. Um, but beyond that, uh, some of the misconceptions are, you know, you can only use brain. And we call these ideation techniques, by the way, now. And ideation techniques we can talk about, but they use stimuli to trigger the brain in different ways. And there are dozens and dozens of these that we use. Um, but I, I think the misconception is that these processes are only good for getting that eureka moment, right? Um, number one. And number two, um, that you can't use these for every kind of challenge that you might have in your life, small, large, medium, whatever. Um, you know, you, you look at successful innovators, it's not about just the eureka moment. You know, that's just one one of a thousand challenges you might have to deal with uh, on your team if you're, if you're going to start a new business. So one of the misconceptions is that this, these processes are not, you know, are, are just for, you know, coming up with the eureka moment. No, they're for solving problems in every facet of business and in life, frankly. Okay. All right. That's an interesting idea. So this is not just about some brand new product or a brand new marketing campaign. This is about solving problems in different, we might say, creative ways. Okay, why? Why do managers need to care about this? Well, I, I think, 
if for one, you know, ideas make the world go round, number one. But, I mean, the environments have gotten so competitive now with, with global competition, et cetera. And, you know, if you're not ideating, innovating the future, and, and you only have to look at the tech industry or, you know, the fashion business or toys or whatever, those are extreme examples. Um, I mean, you're going to be out of business. I mean, Bill Gates has said that a million times. And so, you you know, you have to continually innovate, number one. And number two, um, frankly, it's a lot more fun when you're coming up with new stuff than, you know, quote, just making the donuts. Now, those are critical. You, you need those, those skills and you need managers to do that. And by the way, they can use these processes, too, to, you know, innovate ways to cut costs or be more efficient or be a better job of leading. The, the, again, the point here is that you can use these ideation processes for any and every challenge that you might be facing. Okay. All right. I want to give a quote that you've given in an interview and you say it's important for managers to come up with creative challenges for their employees. So rather than say, I'd wish you'd come up with more ideas, you want them to say something different. So tell me why you say they shouldn't say come up with more ideas and what we should say instead. Okay. Uh, Gosh, I'm so glad you asked me that question because um, I've asked hundreds and hundreds of audiences when I've done keynote speeches, and I've said, how successful have you been when you've asked your employees to come to you with some ideas? And and almost nobody ever raises their hand, right? So what's the problem with that question? The problem is it's not specific enough. Right. If you're in a job, you're thinking about things all the time. What managers have to do, they have to be creative about the questions themselves. So it's not, uh, you know, bring me some ideas. It should be, can you bring me some ideas about how we might market on YouTube in a cost effective way that will reach managers um, who are marketing, you know, um, interesting food products or something? In other words, the specificity of your question is critical if you want to get real-world ideas out of this. And it's, you know, it's somewhat counterintuitive, right? Because people say, oh, creativity is about, you know, openness and not being judgmental and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, okay. But you want to be very specific about these requests because when you're specific, then people, oh, oh, okay, yeah, I can think about that. I I get it now. Because just saying bring me ideas is too broad and you can't do anything with that. It's interesting because as I think about the average employee where, you know, an idea might come from, it's usually a couple of employees hanging around complaining about something. And one of them has an idea about that problem that they've been discussing and then that gets surfaced and hopefully something gets done about it. Um, But if there isn't the stimulus for the complaint, for the recognition of the problem, then those ideas just never get aired. They never get brought forward. They never get discussed, debated, validated, whatever. So it makes sense to me that you have to be specific about what you want progress on, ideas on. Yeah, and there are different, I mean, problems is certainly one genesis of of opportunities. You know, applying technologies would be another, thinking strategies about thinking ways to save money or make something more efficient, right? Save time. These are all strategies for for developing uh, new ideas, big ideas, for sure. Um, But, you know, it's people don't, I shouldn't say people, some of our clients do not understand that as leaders and managers, right, they need to be as creative about the questions they're answering as they are the solutions that they might be getting, right? Okay. 
And, and so that's the, the key thought here is how do you uh, come up with more creative questions that can stimulate your team to come up with those ideas? So give me an example of the thousands of things that you've done where a client has shifted the question and gotten a much better result. Yeah, there's a technique. uh, This is one of the most powerful techniques of all the the dozens and dozens we use. It's called the problem redefinition technique. And uh, it's very simple. You can use it for any challenge. Uh, The example I give in my TEDx talk and in the Idea Stormers book is, you know, how do we sell more life insurance to Catholics? Okay. And so that's a question. And, you know, people come into work every day and say, by the way, the reason that's to Catholics is because this company only sold life insurance to Catholics. They were sued by the Jews and the Muslims and the Buddhists and their charter felt held up. It was so it's a, I mean, talk about an odd question. Right. But the way this primary definition works is you say, well, who else could the we be? And typically the we is the sales guys, but could it be an admin? Could it be a friend? Could it be the CEO? Could it be the CEO's cousin, right? So you generate maybe 10 different we's in this problem statement or challenge. And then sell. Uh, How do we sell more life insurance to Catholics? The sell, right? So give away, promote, co-market, et cetera. And then finally to Catholics. Is a Catholic a Catholic a Catholic? Well, no, you could have young Catholics, old Catholics, grandparents, Hispanic Catholics, uh, devout Catholics, et cetera, et cetera. And so you could come up with 10 of these, let's say 20 or however many you want in each column, and then you can redefine your challenge, right? So how do we get an admin to give away our life insurance to lapsed Catholics, okay? And that's a very specific question for which you can get uh, interesting ideas. When we did this with this company, they did literally thousands and thousands of these combinations because, you know, if it's 10 in each column, that's 1,000. If it's 20 in each column, 8,000, right? And so they were extremely rigorous about this, and they wound up increasing their sales uh, by 52% uh, using this one technique. So I'm taking the words, the key words in the initial question, and then I'm coming up with the alternative words for each of those. And then I'm doing every combination therein that I can and seeing if I get another idea. But I'm making the question very different each time and more specific, as I think is the key point of it. Absolutely. It's by it'll be by definition different. It's Mad Libs, right? Each each of those you know, combinations will be different and it will trigger the brain uh, to, in different ways. Okay. All right. And I think the key part is it is this notion of trigger the brain. Yes. Uh, you know, the, the key difference between brainstorming and ideation is the stimuli, right? Uh, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I've asked, how many of you, you know, who does brainstorming? And everybody raises their hands. And, and I generally say, well, how's that working for you? And generally, it's not working particularly well. Now, it's okay. I mean, if you have a problem, you get some, some people together, you get some ideas, great. And if you get them right away, terrific. Okay, brainstormed work. But we are generally brought in and, and manager, and we're called when, you know, you've got those very difficult challenges, right? And so it's not, you know, we did a project for Oreo cookies and Chips Away cookies, and we went in there and... And how long have they been around? A hundred years. And what am I going to go do? Go in there and say, hey, who's got some ideas for some new Oreo cookies? Right. I mean, they don't need me to ask that question. They've been thinking about it for a hundred years. Right. And so the key is to bring in that stimuli. Right. 
And, and we can talk about some of those techniques, but that's the difference between ideation processes and if you will, just brainstorming. It's triggering the brain. And by the way, different parts of the brain. So the visual part, the language part, et cetera, which right. I guess we're going to We're going to come back to that one in a, in a moment. Okay. All right. I have two questions that I have to follow up on that. One, I need to know what you did with the Oreo cookie group because that just sounds fascinating. Um, but two, I want to talk about what we do about, about brainstorming. How do we fix it? But tell me what you did with the Oreo cookie first. Well, well so the Oreo cookies that led to um, sort of the, the Oreo thins, that was one. Um, but but often another story we were all, which rates back to the Oreo cookie, which is kind of funny. I think we we were working on the uh, Chips Ahoy cookie. We we had that assignment in house at the same time, and so we came up with Brownie Chips Ahoy, you know, which was a mashup technique. It's semantic intuition, um, and the Brownie Chips Ahoy cookie has led to what we think of as a platform because their food scientists were able to figure out how to put a layer of something inside a chips like cookie in this case it was brownie right and and that's been a huge success and that's created a platform because now they're putting fudge in there they're putting uh, red velvet cake in there and so that's become a whole platform so how does that tie back to oreo cookie well this, this was crazy um uh they at one point they actually put oreo filling inside of the chocolate chip cookie and and marketed that and it did well for a bit but i was like Boy, I, I don't know about <laughs> that. Um, but, but that was interesting to us because that was a we had these two projects in house and we didn't we never thought to really mash them up, right? right? So right. that's us learning about our own process. That's interesting. Very interesting. Okay, brainstorming. I know that you make a big deal out of brainstorming not working. And most of us get together in a room, my experience of brainstorming, and we say, okay, we got this question. What are your ideas? Anything counts. It doesn't matter. Shoot me ideas. And we get three ideas on the table, and then we start debating one of the ideas, whether it's a good one or a bad one or whatever. And pretty soon the brainstorming falls apart. Yep. Okay, now A, is that your common experience? And B, what do we do in a better way? How do we do this better? Yeah, I, thank you for that question. So, um, you know, one of the keys of brainstorming when it was invented in the late 1930s by Alex Osborne, the O of BBDO ad agency, was that idea of withhold judgment. And, and so it is a critical point to sort of separate the idea generation phase from the judgmental phase. Now, there are exceptions to that when you do cost-cutting work and process improvement work, but, but, but let's just go with that general principle, okay? So you, you, you want to make sure that you have a facilitator in there, and that could be the leader or not, who is making sure you're segmenting or separating those two things, you know, the judgment phase from the idea creation phase. Um, and then on the idea creation phase, um, you know, that's where you're, you know, introducing stimuli. And so we might do a one hour, two hour, two day, two day, one day, two day event where we're continually presenting all different kinds of stimuli again. And so, and different techniques. And so in a day, if it, if it were new products, for instance, we might use as many as, you know, four or five different techniques um, throughout the day to trigger the brain. You know, again, visual techniques or questioning techniques or whatever. And then towards the end of the day, that's when you bring the judgment and you say, which ideas did you like? And let's uh, get our top 15 or 20 and let's do a concept development exercise. And, you know, after that, we go test these things. But to answer your question, Wanda, it's really, it is important to separate those, those two. And, and as I said, you know, oftentimes, 
if, if you have a problem, you bring people together, you get some ideas, maybe you do it for an hour over pizza or something, that's fine. And you may well get some really good ideas. But my, my bias is that if you kept going and used different stimuli and different triggers, you would get even more ideas and in a lot of cases, much better ideas, frankly. Yeah. I think there's also this point of as soon as I hear your idea, it changes my own thinking. I lose some of my own ideas. And I, I think the technique is that I should think of my own ideas first, write them down in some capacity, and then we can start bouncing off of each other. Am I right about that? Well, there, there are two things there. Is One, uh, we used to do heavy, we call them briefing documents for these ideation sessions. And so we'd, we'd have people, you know, do hours and hours of prep for these to make sure they came with ideas. And now we just make it very simple if we're trying to invent uh, a new hardware a tool or something, we'll say, go to a cosmetic shop and get an interesting package and transfer the print, whatever. So now we make it really simple. But you do want people to have thought about it when they come to this and maybe come with an idea or two, right? Okay. So, okay. so that, that, that's, that's important. Um, what was the second half of your question there? It, 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 or the, time to think, really, before yeah. you sort of start reacting to other people. Yeah. So, so um, the other thing we do is um, you're absolutely right. When you're brainstorming, you know, it's such an efficient, pro- inefficient process because you get one person talking. And if there are 20 people in the room, you have 19 people, A, listening, B, not necessarily creating, and C, losing their idea, right? And so there's a technique we invented and developed called uh, brainwalking where we sent up ideation stations around the room and there might be, uh, you know, 10, if there are 20 people in the room, we put two people at each station. We have different triggers at each station. It could be visuals or wishes or whatever. Have them come up with ideas at each station, rotate to their neighbor station, build on those ideas, build, 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 build. Uh, You do five rotations. You go back to your original station, circle some ideas you like. And, you know, in the space of a half hour of this rotating and building and triggering, and there are 20 people in the room, all of a sudden you have 100 ideas. And the great part, to your point and your question before, is you were not biased by, um, by other people's ideas or you didn't forget yours because you're, you're there uh, writing stuff down in the brainwalk station. And by the way, the other thing I would say about that's so powerful that, about that technique is that introverts love it, right? Yeah. Because, you know, in a normal ideation, you know, the extroverts, you, you sometimes can't shut them up, right? Yeah. And, and the introverts have great stuff, which, but they're not being heard from. Right. And so the introverts get to write their ideas down and rotate, rotate. And, and so that's the psychology and dynamics of, of, of effective facilitation, okay. frankly. All right. So just to make sure every, I love this concept um, of brain walking as opposed to brainstorming. I set up idea stations, ideation stations. I'm going to have a different stimuli at each station in order to trigger different kinds of thoughts, different ways of processing. I'll come back to what those are in a minute. And then I go in small groups, which is going to make your introverts happy. I look at that stimuli, we react, we see ideas, we write down our own ideas and then we rotate to the next one and around the room. And you do five rotations, you said, around the room. So you're building and building and building. Did I get that correct? You could, Yeah, you could do five. I mean, depending on time, I number mean, of people. And, and by the way, you can, you can be introducing uh, different techniques each time. So, you know, on the third rotation, you, you put in, okay, uh, now come up with a, 
a stupid idea, which, you know, worst idea technique or silly idea technique. All right, good. Okay, now rotate and ha turn your neighbor's worst idea into a good idea. Okay, and now on the next rotation, we have pictures we want you to look at. And so it's this total free-for-all going on where you're just, you know, you're triggering so many parts of the brain. We have never not had this work. I mean, that's okay. a double negative. But, but, I mean, you can't help but come up with new stuff. Okay. Right? All right. Perfect. All right. So let's do this idea of triggering because I think that has been said several times. And you keep talking about triggering different parts of the brain, the needing different stimuli. And I think you talk in particular about four different styles that are very distinctive that we need to use in order to trigger the brain in different ways. Tell us about that. Yeah. So um, the four we've identified, these are kind of classes or genres or types of, of ideation techniques. Uh, the four are questions or questioning techniques. Uh, then they're metaphorical or enological uh, techniques, uh, visual techniques. And then there's kind of a catch-all fantasy um, role play technique. So those, okay. those are the four, right? And okay. we have, you know, under... The questioning techniques, problem redefinition, and questioning assumptions, and 20 questions, for instance, all these techniques, metaphorical techniques, idea hooks, and uh, trend triggers, and principal transfer, um, you know, the visual techniques is, is picture prompts, and collaging, et cetera, et cetera, and then the, the fantasy techniques could, I mentioned, you know, worst idea, or, or customer role plays, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and as I said, there are dozens and dozens of these different techniques. And these are all, you know, as I said before, triggering the brain in, in different ways, different right. mental modalities you're, you're pulling out. Yeah, I'm pulling out the cognitive part. I'm pulling about the associative part with the metaphor. I'm pulling out the visual and I'm pulling out the sort of imaginative fantasy, I guess, a role play thing. So. Um, I get a little bit of the visual technique in that I would use a variety. There are dozens of them I get, but basically I'm using a visual stimuli to get you to think about the problem or the question in a slightly different way. Okay. Yep. And I get the fantasy or the role play uh, idea, and then I'm going to take a different role and see what I come up with against this problem. But help me understand how a question technique. So give me a couple of examples of questioning techniques. Yeah, well, um, this gets back to uh, one of the critical things is to, to how you define your challenge, right? Mm -hmm. So when we, you know, we had a, an ironing company, you know, uh, not iron, but ironing, uh, a famous one come to us and said, uh, can you help us invent new irons? Not, not unexpectedly, right? And we said, no, we, we shouldn't do that. And they're like, what are you talking about? And, and that gets down to how you frame the challenge. And this, this is critical, right? Um, we didn't go into that session as let's invent some new irons. We went into that session and said, let's invent some new anti-wrinkle devices. Okay. And actually we went even a little broader than that. That's where we started, but we broadened it even further. How do you invent new garment care devices? Okay. And you might say, all right, but um, that's, that, I don't, know, I don't know if your listeners think that's an unimportant distinction, but it's not when you get to the creativity work because we have so many preconceptions about what an iron is, right? I mean, we see it. It's got the metal plate and it's got the hand thing. And yeah, it could be plastic or it could be lighter or it could be smaller. It could be battery powered, et cetera, et cetera. But all those assumptions uh, get in the way of coming up with new ideas. 
So that's, that's important to frame the challenge correctly. Um, another example is, you know, uh, my, my business partner, Gary Fraser, created uh, Mentadent for, um, this was many years ago, but he created the Mentadent toothpaste uh, for Unilever, it became a $200 million brand. The key to that, they succeeded because they questioned the assumptions about what toothpaste, the toothpaste category, right, and what form it has to be in and how it has to be delivered. And so that led to the dual dispenser because they had baking soda and peroxide coming together, which was unique at the time. And so that's a really good example. I mean, they spent several years, the research scientists, trying to encapsulate the, the, uh, the peroxide in the baking soda thought they had solved it. They did a ship test and they opened up the truck down in Georgia in the middle of the summer. And there was toothpaste all over, all over the, the tractor trailer because it did, it couldn't stand the heat. And so, you know, it, it blew up, the toothpaste tubes blew up, but that was a case of had they questioned the assumption earlier about what, you know, toothpaste does not have to come into a tube. They would have saved probably two years of work. Okay. All right. So the questioning techniques are about reframing the problem, broadening the problem, challenging the assumptions, even recognizing the assumptions. And I think your point there is even things that you think can't be challenged, like it comes in a toothpaste tube, has to break apart because that's where some ideas come from. Yeah. I mean, if, if anybody is out there looking to invent a new category, to have a truly breakthrough uh, invention or, or, or strategy, questioning assumptions, for instance, is unbelievably powerful, right? Uh, because, y- you know, there are so many assumptions we, 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 we go under, you know, I, a chair, okay, I'm going to assume it's got legs and it's on the floor and, and you're assuming it's for sitting in and then you question that assumption and say, could we have a standing chair? Yeah, I guess we could. Could we have a chair without legs? Yeah, I guess that'd be a beanbag chair. Does it have to be on the floor? No, it could be suspended from the ceiling, et cetera, et cetera. So questioning assumptions is extremely powerful for uh, reinventing categories, frankly. Right, right, and whole new ideas. All right, now, so give me an example about how the metaphor technique works. Yeah, um, you know, as I, in my youth, (laughs) and I had more time, uh, I was on my own consulting, and I spent uh, several years studying the lives of, of great inventors, for instance, and because I was fascinated, again, I, what is their creative processes? And with inventors in particular, it's almost about, uh, you know, sort of meta, met, using metaphors, if you will. And by the way, the, the firm Synectics, uh, Bill Gordon, whom I knew, uh, formed it. He was an Arthur D. Little guy uh, in the late 50s. The notion was that you could transfer principles from one thing to, to solve another thing. And so one of and there are hundreds and hundreds of examples of this, but you know you, you take somebody like uh, you know George Westinghouse, right? And uh, the great American inventor, um, he was trying to figure out how to stop uh, trains from crashing into each other because they had lousy brakes, right? Yeah. And so he's reading an article. Uh, about a drill, um, a pneumatic drill over in France. And he said, oh, my gosh, I can use a pneumatic, you know, uh, uh, notion here to, to invent air brakes. And, that's, and so that was about principal transfer, right? And so that's what this is all about. It's using analogs or metaphors um, to trigger ideas, right? 
So if we're trying to invent a new fuse box, as we were with, you know, 20 PhD scientists for incorporation, the triggers we might use. Now, you don't want to leave this to chance, right? I mean, George Westinghouse happened to be reading this article. We, we can't leave it to chance. We have to force these connections. And so we, for instance, might use a technique I invented called patent prompts, where we take an analog of a fuse box, which is connecting or relaying, do patent searches, because you can do that now with keywords, and, and show them inventions in other categories where there are really interesting ways that things are either connected or uh, relayed or whatever. And so that's the notion of idea hooks um, to, to trigger ideas. Okay, well, let me, let me give you, I, I hope that doesn't sound esoteric. I can give you a, a real world fun example on that. Give me uh, a real world fun example <laughs> and then we'll take a break. I can't resist. Go for okay. it, Brian. So we were hired by the USTA, United States Tennis Association, to help them reinvent, uh, you know, the U.S. Open, right? And so how do you do that? I mean, who's got ideas? No, no, no. Any more ideas? No, no, no. So one of the techniques we used was idea hooks or triggers. And so we said, let's look at a different events. And so a state fair or a wedding, right? You know, or a graduation or a Broadway play. And let's take the principles in that and see if we could uh, apply that to reinventing, you know, how people uh, experience a tennis match. And that led to, for instance, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but like on Saturday night, they use that metaphor of a Broadway play and they've got lights and camera, you know, almost like an opening of a Broadway play. And that was about transferring the principles, using those idea hooks uh, to reinvent how you had that experience. Excellent. I love That's a great example and a perfect place to stop. Um, so my guest today is Brian Mattimore. He is the co-founder and chief idea guy at the Growth Engine Company. Obviously, as you've heard, he's facilitated thousands of sessions with that's generated over $3 billion in new sales for all of his clients, many of them five and Fortune 500 clients. Um, Brian, I like, I just love so much that you take this notion of the ideation process and say, we need stimuli that are going to approach different parts of the brain, that are going to force our brain to think differently, that are going to allow us to see the problem or the issue or the opportunity in a different light. And we're going to transfer one concept from one place to a different concept in another place. And out of that, come up with a range of ideas from which we decide which ones work, which ones don't, what do we want to explore and pursue. But the notion is to make it more, not methodical is the bad word, more explosive in some ways in terms of the numbers of ideas that you can generate to open up those assumptions. I love that idea. So um, the book we're talking about today, too, is called Idea Stormers, How to Lead and Inspire Creative Breakthroughs. When we come back, I want to take this down to a little bit more of a managerial focus and give you some concrete things that you as a manager can do. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement 
and we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, helping organizations get it and keep it. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Brian Mattimore, who's a specialist in ideation, co-founder and chief idea guy at the Growth Engine Company, a 22-year-old innovation agency. I should also say that Brian is an innovation and marketing instructor at Caltech in the U.S., and he's the author of dozens of articles and three books. The one we're talking about today, Idea Stormers, How to Lead and Inspire Creative Breakthroughs. But it also referenced 21 Days to a Big Idea and 99% Inspiration, also to very good books. I, um, one of the things in your book, Idea Stormers, that I particularly liked, Brian, is this notion of the seven creative mindsets. The mindset I want to bring to an ideation process that's going to allow it to be more successful. And what I found particularly powerful about that wasn't the naming of the seven mindsets, as it was the questions you asked to get especially leaders to ask to facilitate that mindset. So walk us through that, you know, curiosity, openness, ambiguity, transferring principles, integrity, knowingness, and creator of worlds. Okay. Explain and give me your questions. Yeah. Well, thank you. You know, Wanda, you're <laughs> in some ways you're just like my editor. When I wrote this, I originally wrote these seven mindsets and, 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 and she's, and the, the editor said, well, how do you operationalize this? What are the questions around them? I'm like, oh man. And so, so thank you for, for forcing me to talk about that. Um, so the, the first one is curiosity. And, and the, the easiest way to operationalize this is to continually ask why. I have a focus group facilitator friend and, and she'll do her, her focus group. She'll moderate them. And then she'll say, why? And then she'll ask the why a second time and even a third time. And you're going, oh, my God, give me a break. Cut with the whys. But it's amazing when you ask that second and third and even five whys behind it, you get to some essential truths. And so that is key when you're doing this work, to be curious enough to say why and how, what way would that work, et cetera. Right. Um, you know, openness, uh, the, the key here is that 
um, we as humans, and I include myself in this, you know, we're judgmental. We've been trained to think a certain way. And I have to catch myself when I do all the time saying, oh, you know, this is what a stupid idea or this person's a jerk or whatever it is, right? And so I have, I've learned and trained myself to say, wait a second, you know, and I can't tell you, frankly, how many times I've been in a session and I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, give me a break. This is a really stupid idea. And, and frankly, it is a stupid idea. But the point here is that will often trigger a really interesting idea. And so that, that's the openness mindset. Transferring principles, we talked about that, the sort of looking for things that can be applied to, stolen, modified, or whatever. Uh, it's, it's sort of t taking it from one arena to another arena. And uh, most uh, creatives will, will use that. Um, integrity, that's really fun because that's about, uh, the question is, uh, you know, what would make this a simple or beautiful solution, right? This is the Einstein thing. It should be, you know, simple and elegant. And so it's as managers sort of looking for, for more simple solutions, frankly, because simple, they're easier to communicate. They're um, probably less expensive. There's less likely to, to fail, et cetera. Okay. Um, the uh, knowingness mindset, this is more intuitive, right? This is, you know, when we do an ideation session, we'll, we'll generate 200 ideas, let's say, okay? And then we'll say, okay, pick your favorites, right? And pick your 10 or 15 favorites. We have never not had the situation where there's a bell curve, right? Where people kind of agree on what the top ideas are. And that's that knowingness principle. And, and frankly, sometimes you just know it's a big idea. And you may not even consciously know this, but but the different elements come together in a way and you understand, you know that that's a big idea, okay? And then the final one, which is really fun, is creator of worlds. Uh, when we looked at, you know, great entrepreneurs throughout history and inventors, um, many of these, and writers too, uh, you know, created a world, right? So, and, and by the way, if anybody says, oh, I wouldn't know how to create a world, um, you do because you do it every night when you're sleeping, right? You're in a world. You create this really weird world, right? And so an extension of that. So, you know, Ralph Warren, the world of polo, right? Disney, the wonderful world of Disney. But, you know, Dr. Seuss is a world. The you know, Hunger Games is a world. And so the idea that as a manager, you could say, is there some opportunity, some area where we could create a world? And the, and the great thing about that is you get to define the rules and the principles um, in that world, and you then can own it. Yeah. All right. I love these. I want to repeat them for people listening. So if there are things that I want to foster in order to get my team to have greater ideas and be more creative, I'm going to do each of these by the question I ask. So if I want people to be more curious, I want to have more curiosity, I'm going to ask why and why and why and why. If I want people to be more open, I'm going to ask, what are we learning here as opposed to the judgment of what's right or wrong? If I want people to embrace ambiguity, I'm going to say, and I love this question, what, what if both of these contradictions are true? How might that apply? If we want people to transfer, I'm going to say, what principle in this thing can I apply to that thing? In integrity, um, to get an integrity mindset, I want to say what makes this a simple or beautiful solution. In the knowingness, I want to ask what's my intuition telling me. And in the creator of worlds, if I could create an entirely different world, what do it look, feel, smell, and sound like? And what are the rules? I love those. So simple, 
such an easy thing for managers to do to open up the ideas. And you see in that how managers in leading discussions or asking for ideas can often close down the mindset by doing polar opposite questions than the ones that we just outlined. You know, Wanda, I I think I forgot ambiguity, (laughs) but thank you for bringing it back. But, um, you know, I can't tell you how many times we've been doing focus groups and we hear, you know, ambiguous comments, right? People are contradicting each other. And often the brand manager, marketing VP will be in the back and they'll be freaking out, right? Because, oh, my gosh. This, I, I don't know what to do here. And you might hear, I mean, we're in an ambiguous world, right? And, you know, the, the, we have never been healthier and we've never been fatter, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, as a culture, right? We've never been more sustainable and we've never driven bigger trucks, et cetera, et cetera. So it's this willingness to look at these ends of the spectrum, right? And to say what's going on within these rather than uh, rejecting them and that, uh, you know, I think it was F. Scott Fitzgerald. That's the, the the genesis or root of genius is being able to hold two contradictory ideas in the mind at the same time. Yeah, um, Adam Kahane, who's been a guest, um, and the podcast was called uh, Facilitating Breakthrough. His specialty is around conflict, and he says the secret in conflict is not unlike what you're saying about ambiguity: is to hold two polar opposite views in parallel. And to move from one to the other, not rejecting one, not making one wrong, but to hold them in balance. And I just think that's such an important idea, even for ideation uh-huh. as well as for conflict resolution. Yeah. Okay, you have, Brian, having talked to you and having read the book, a thousand and one really fun stories. Tell us the Ben and Jerry ice cream story. Well, this one I tell because it's somewhat iconic because it's it's iconic because it's about the importance of stimuli, right, which we've talked about. And and so they called me up and we invented new new products for them. They had me fly up to to uh, Vermont and, and invent some new ice creams with them. But they also said that they wanted to name a new uh, chocolate and and uh, or fudge and strawberry ice cream. And and I said, OK, great. How much time? A half hour. I'm like, what are you talking about? We can't do it in a half hour. And they said, well, we only have a half hour because we want to do new products. And so therefore, that's all you got. And I said, oh, my gosh. So how do I approach? Uh, By the way, I said, yes, I'll do that because they're the client, right? So I said, okay, we'll figure it out. So the key is how do you trigger that that breakthrough idea? And it's about the stimuli. and, and, And this is related stimuli. This is not random stimuli. This isn't go think of a telephone book or something. It's stimuli directed about against, well, who is the essence of Ben and Jerry's? And as I thought about it, I said, you know, they are anti-authoritarian, right? And so what would be some anti-authoritarian triggers or stimuli? And what I came up, and it could have been pictures, but what I came, or it could have been graffiti, for instance. But what I came up with was slang. Slang is anti-authoritarian. I bought a bunch of slang dictionaries, cut them up into pieces, passed those out and said, let's get our name. Find a name here. Uh, and and so one guy, I loved it. He um, he came up with snap snafu. Strawberries naturally all fudged up, right? And and that uh, became the the name of the the flavor that it was launched under uh, by using that slang trigger. So a slang dictionary, cut up the slang and see what emerges out of it. Okay, now I have to ask you, did you have unusual people in the room for this Ben & Jerry's exercise, or was it just your average people who work at Ben & Jerry's? Well, yeah, I 
<laughs> there are no average people at Ben and Jerry's, as there, as there are also no average people anywhere, frankly. I mean, they're always characters. They're always interesting people. People sometimes, the clients sometimes say, who should we bring to the ideation session? I say, well, bring your most creative people. They're like, what are you talking about? And I said, you know, you know, the secretary is writing poetry, right? You know, the, 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 the strategy guy who you can't shut up, you know, get, get some characters in there, right? And, and Ben and Jerry's is such a wonderful organization that they have a lot of characters and they were willing to play for sure. Okay. Great. All right. So second story I love is the Columbia flower growers story. Tell me about that one. What happened? Well, they, um, a wonderful guy who was president of the famous university down there called me up. Could you come down um, and give a talk to the Columbia flower growers association? In addition, talking to his PhD classes, et cetera. And I said, sure. And that night I had dinner with him and I had a, you know, a general innovation talk. Uh, prepared. And I realized after talking with him, I said, oh my gosh, these flower growers are in tough shape because the exchange rate with, you know, the peso or whatever to, with the dollar was not good and they were freaking out. And and I think America imports like 40 or 50% of their flowers from Colombia. So they were in really tough times. And so I said, you know, I can't just give a general innovation talk. So what I did that night, I stayed up till three in the morning and I said, let me come up with this, some ideas for them not only to give them ideas, but also to show them the processes that they can use. And so the technique, it's a very simple one we created. We call it the and technique. It's about mashing up. And I said, okay, let's take flowers, right? And what can you mash that up with? And now you're looking at worlds, right? Which we talked about before. Right. So the world of sports or the world of, you know, flowers and sports or flowers and fundraising or flowers and food or flowers and religion flowers and travel, flowers and hobby. So I did, I looked at 20 of these categories, came up with like 40 or 50 ideas, picked, you know, the 10 or 15 that I really, really liked. Like one of them was, you know, well, they should be doing boutonnieres for sports fans, right? Uh, if it's the Mets, you're using orange and blue, right? And do these boutonnieres and sell them at, you know, at, at the venues, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, I came up with these dozens and dozens of ideas till three in the morning, some of which were actually quite good. And so that became a, a huge hit and a big success. And I was happy to, to help them out with that. Um, but, but behind this all was just the simplicity of mashing up, you know, the world of flowers with different worlds. I like that you see, and again, you see that notion of the transfer. I get something from this world combined with something from that world, and it opens my way of thinking about it. It challenges my assumption of what kind of flowers under what kind of occasions under what you know circumstances. Yeah, it, it's a fast, absolutely fascinating story. All right, now quickly, Ryan, because we've only got like literally four minutes to wrap this up. You another quote I want to give, and I want your comment on it. You say you don't innovate by changing the culture. Yeah, and I'll finish that. You you change the culture by innovating, and yes. this is this is somewhat of a slam. Not really a slam, but you know, some of the large consulting firms will will come in and say, "Yeah, we'll reinvent your process for you," which is okay. Um, but but the way we do it is we say, "Listen, give us a big challenge, something a division that's not doing well, or product line, or whatever it is." We're going to come in and we're going to help them succeed to invent something new, new sales strategies, whatever it is. And, and, and then, um, what, this is a really bad metaphor to use in these times, but like a benevolent virus, the idea is we can t- 
first of all, we'll learn about what their culture is like, because each culture is unique, what their unique requirements are, what their industries, how their industries differ, the different categories. We're doing all the learning as we're doing this project. And then, at then and only then, do we begin to make process suggestions because we'll know what processes they need. So the point here is don't go in and, 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 and hire consultants to say, oh, we're going to you know, innovate a new um, culture for you uh, or we're going to invent a new process to change your culture. Go in, do the work, and from that you will come out with uh, you know, recommendations for how to change the processes within the, the organization. And presumably, if I've involved employees in this whole ideation process, they're bought into it and therefore bought into the change in a way that is much more powerful than anything else we could have done in the first place. Oh, thank you. Oh, my God. That is so critical. Thank you for saying that because we will not do a project without the, the employee. We will never do what's called the ta-da, right? That we go away, they give us a sign, come back, ta-da, here's a great, no, 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 no. We want them involved from the get-go, A, because they know a lot. And B, because they have a lot of ideas, and almost most importantly, they're going to be tasked with maybe manifesting this thing. And so they have to have ownership. So that is, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's absolutely critical uh, that, that the employees have to be part of this process. Besides, which is fun. Who doesn't want to be part of creating something new? It's just flat out fun. All right, Brian, if anybody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Um, yeah, our website is growth-engine.com. And, um, you know, if, if they search my name, certainly, or growth-engine.com, innovation agency, uh, will show up. Um, and my email is, is bmattimore, you know, B as in Brian Mattimore, M-A-T-T-I-M-O-R-E, at growth-engine.com. And, Perfect. you know, they can feel free to reach out to me. Fabulous. Thank you. All right. So my guest today, Brian Mattimore, and as you can tell, he is a chief ideation person, both on the process and on the market and research and the new products and the services. Co-founder, chief idea guy at the Growth Engine Company, a 20-year-old innovation agency, the author of multiple books and articles. We've been talking today about idea stormers, how to lead and inspire creative breakthroughs. I think you're going to find in that book dozens and dozens and dozens of examples and ideas and techniques. Anybody inside an organization wanting to know how to create more ideas can get some great examples from that one. So Brian, thank you for being a guest today. Um, the thank thing you, the thing I take away from this that I just really love, I really find fascinating and fun is this notion of different ranges of stimuli, different techniques, a whole you know hundreds of different ones to get people to think differently. So that's what's I think exciting here in the work you're doing. Um, If you've enjoyed this episode, please like us on your favorite podcast server. Please also check out our subscription service, outofthecomfortzone.com, where you'll find an article from Brian and some other things as well to help um, reinforce the ideas. And join us next week for another episode in getting out of your comfort zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.